Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. This is Nick. You can find us at hypercleanstore.com as well as the Hyperclean Specialist Group on Facebook. Want to get started today on a pretty interesting topic for me because I am having more and more discussions about electric cars. Customers are asking asking more and more questions. In my world, that's being driven by Rivian mostly because most of my clients, you know, know about Tesla or or know about all these different uh, electric cars that have been out. But I think one of the interesting parts about this discussion is nobody's making money on electric cars. Tesla has been, you know, Elon's been yelling from the rooftops for a long time now that, you know, manufacturing electric cars is not really profitable at this point. Now, you know, we're talking February 24th of 2023. I'm sure that's going to change, but there's some interesting conversations happening. Number one, you know, listening to Johnny Lieberman on the uh, Smoking Tire podcast was a really, really eye-opening reality. He's a guy that I like to listen to about cars, but he makes this electric car argument that, you know, people aren't aren't going to buy electric cars because they're right wing and they're anti this and and it got really crazy. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that, that's that's kind of an eye-opening, really, really poor example of an EV discussion. I think Matt Farah and, and Zach didn't know what to do in the moment. They really should have put him in his place with some of the out of left field com- comments he was making. But the point is, is that the EV market is not easy. Just like building a car isn't easy. You know, we, we've had a hundred years trying to perfect how to make money on the internal combustion engine. And largely the dealership network for special cars got completely screwed up. So it isn't like we have this fine tuned machine and now you're taking and you're making a whole new manufacturing process. You're taking a lot of technology. Like, let's talk about Ford today because that's the interesting, the CEO made some interesting comments. They're not making their at-home chargers. I think a company called Sunrun is doing that project for them. Most of their software is Google, Microsoft. So you think about all these things is, is now Ford is basically taking the, the nuts and bolts of what it does and it's outsourcing all of it. Why? They're trying to become profitable. The CEO of Ford has had a tough job because they needed to separate their fleet business from their their consumer business, now from their EV business. They really are running three separate businesses. For those that don't know, Ford has really, really high cost, input cost into their business, much higher than most manufacturers. They've done a poor job of, of managing relationships truthfully, it's unbelievable. I think they're the only uh, American manufacturer that's never declared bankruptcy because they have some of the highest input costs of any of the businesses. So the CEO has been under fire from investors to start to answer questions about this electric car revolution he's trying to put into the company. And for those who don't know, they have what's called earning calls. And earning calls are Top investors hop on to a, to a conference call and they ask the, the the CFO, the CEO, the leadership team questions. Hey, we see this in the balance sheet. What is this $300 million expense? What's this $500 million expense and all this kind of stuff. So if you want to nerd out on a car company, you really need to go and listen to these earning calls. So 
recently, the, the CEO of Ford, one of the things that makes him so interesting is he kind of shoots off at the mouth at times. Let's go back to when I told you guys, he basically fired a warning shot at dealers and said, hey, we're going to sell EVs direct, screw our relationships. That hasn't come to fruition, but look, he, he obviously said it because it's a, a big topic of conversation behind the scenes. And that's the thing to remember. When you hear a CEO kind of pop off at the mouth in these earning calls, they're not saying things on a whim. They're saying things that are being discussed that maybe shouldn't have been let out of the bag. So let's continue on. They have this earning call, and I think the number he said is, we're going to be lucky to make 8% profit margin if everything goes perfect in our EV market. Folks, that's real tight. And then he's got an answer to, that's kind of unrealistic at this point. Well, investors don't like to hear you about losing money for the sake of losing money. So they start to push him on questions. And when they push him on questions, here's what comes out. Well, nobody's asked me about software. And kind of goes quiet. Now, I checked everywhere to see if anybody has come up with this theory about this specific comment being made, and I couldn't find it. Couldn't find it on Motor Trend, Car and Driver, Road and Track all these journalistic places, quote unquote, are not really covering what he said. Why? Well, they really don't know the car business in a lot of cases. They're just testing cars. I mean, Motors Trend is still doing performance car of the year. And let me give you a hint on what wins every year. Who released the newest car? This year, Corvette Z06 wins. Wow, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that car won. It was released this year. It's the first time you guys driving it on a track and magically you picked it. Right? Not really journalism anymore. Right? They're not really covering the auto business. Let me give you an example. If you're still publishing zero to 60 times when Remock has released a 1900 horsepower electric vehicle that goes zero to 60 in 1.8, I think it gets zero to 104 seconds. Are we kind of done with performance car of the year? Because where was Remock? Where was, you know, where were all these cars? Electric has changed the game, but Motor Trend's still doing performance car of the year, like it's 1986 or something. And by the way, they always pick the latest car, basically. So I don't need to read that, but news of dealerships gouging people and all the bad stuff that went on in the car business the last three years, you really can't find any competent, consistent article writing in those magazines. And that's sad for me because I love those. I, I grew up reading those magazines, right? I, I got a lot of my knowledge out of those magazines, but they don't really cover the car business. They don't really talk about topical things all the time. It's just, oh, you know, I went to Morocco to drive the latest Porsche and it's really good. No kidding. Porsche builds a good car. What a, what a fantastic opinion you have there about that car. Oh, you know, this car they built for the sand dunes does really well on the sand dunes. No kidding. I'm shocked. Are you guys shocked? But Ford CEO basically lets the cat out of the bag. And I think I'm going to be one of the first people to say this. I think Ford has a plan. And the plan is you buy an electric vehicle, you go to the dealership or you buy it direct from us, whatever it ends up being. And you're paying $500 a month for your car note. And then they're going to charge you for the software to run your car. You're going to have to pay every month, every quarter, every year, whatever it is, some dollar amount to turn your car on. Don't think it can happen. BMW charges you for heated seats on certain models. 
This is an unbelievable thing he said, and largely no press. Why? I don't know. Because I think what he believes is that the profit in electric cars is going to be the software. Now, you can make the argument he's talking about fleet vehicles and running fleets with software. That all sounds good. So let me guess. He's going to make all of this money in software on fleet vehicles, and he's never going to think to himself, you know, we're not making money on the Mach-E. I'm just going to sit here and accept it. And the investors are going to be happy because investors love when you lose money. No. If he gets backed into a corner, any company, Chevy, Dodge, especially Dodge, because Dodge is not in a really, for a long time, hasn't been in a great cash position. Dodge is going all electric. You don't think they're going to look at their balance sheet and say, man, if we sell 100,000 of these cars and we charge everybody 50 bucks a month for the software to run their car, that's a lot of money. And we really only pay a couple programmers over here and, and really we're not paying them. We're just having Google do it or we're having Microsoft do it, or we're having Dell do it. So we don't really have that much to worry about. Yeah, let's do it. You don't think that's going to happen? So there's my prediction long-term that I've been talking to some clients about. You know, they're they're interested in the car business. They're interested in electric cars. Some of them have electric cars. They, they asked me what, they, what I think. I said, I think we're headed to a point where just like if you want certain storage capabilities on iCloud, you have to pay monthly or yearly to get that storage in iCloud, I don't see how cars aren't going to do that with what Ford CEO let out of the bag recently. Now, he let it out of the bag, I think, because he was frustrated on the earnings call. But if he let it out of the bag, that means it's been talked about. That means somebody has said something in a meeting, more than once, him included. They're already doing it on, I think they got, you know, some type of program in their fleet vehicles where they're going to run software. They're going to, they're going to pay to install charging so you can move your fleets to electric. Like it's coming. He's already doing it. Why is he not going to do it on the consumer side of things? And so we could be looking at a world where you have a $500 car payment to the bank or to the financial arm of Ford. And then you have a $50 a month subscription so you can turn your car on. Because they can't figure out how to make money on these cars, guys. Tesla's been at it. Uh, Rivian's been at it. Lucid's at it now. None of these people are making money. Now, what they're hoping is the technology kept, catches up, and then this unified way of building cars becomes extremely profitable. And maybe they're right. They, they most certainly can be right. But why in an earnings call, when he was getting pushed on the issue, did he say, well, the one thing you're not thinking about is software? Hmm. Why would he say that? He was tired of getting pushed. He was tired of having people make comments about not making money on the, on the EVs. And magically, the word software comes out of his mouth. And also remember, CEOs are largely not the ones in charge of decisions all the time. If the board pulls you aside in a meeting and says, you better find a way to make money on EVs, or we're going to find a CEO who will, the biggest investors in that company start to push the CEO, the CEO is going to follow orders or he's going to be replaced. This is the biggest misconception a lot of times in companies that you think the person that has a title at a company that he or she doesn't own is the real decision maker. And if you really look into publicly traded companies, investors 
are the ones that are going to push an agenda when things start to go wrong. So Ford is struggling with EVs. They're struggling with production. They've divided their company into three different programs. They've gone through all these changes and investors are still not satisfied. Now, I think this guy can be a good CEO and he's done a lot of good things. I'm not judging that part of it. I'm judging what's going to happen when they get more EVs on the road. They're still not profitable in the consumer EV market, just like Lucid, just like Rivian, just like Remock, just like all these different companies. The price comes at some point, the investors are going to say, where's our money? How are you going to make money? I'm tired of putting money into a company that's not returning it to me. And I think what we're seeing is they're letting the cat out of the bag. You buy one of our cars and you want your software updated, you need a software subscription. Motor Trend, Road and Track, uh, uh, Car and Driver, none, none of these companies are saying anything. Write the article. Hold people accountable on this EV thing. But you see the problem. You know, you saw Johnny Lieberman. And again, for those who didn't listen, he was on the smoking tire. He was completely unhinged about this EV conversation. And that's the people working at these magazines large. I'm not saying all of them, but who's speaking up about the problem with EVs and this whole idea. I think we're going to see some of these companies reverse course because if the investors have enough and they go, we're not doing this anymore, they're going to listen or get fired. And what do you think people are going to do? They're going to get fired. They're, they're going to say, oh, I'll save my job. We're going to do more hybrids. We're going to, we're going to do more more uh, a hybrid battery gas type system, which I think is what should happen anyway. But, you know, coming out of Ferrari and Ferrari saying, yeah, we're going to build an electric car and we're going to pipe in the Ferrari sound 100%. Like, that's not what Ferrari's about. People will buy them because they love Ferrari, but sooner or later, people are just going to be like, ah, this isn't a Ferrari. You think a GT3 Porsche in 2025 all electric is going to get you fired up? Not really. Once you drive pretty much a fast EV, you've driven them all. So you're going to have no differentiation in the market other than software. What's it like to drive the car? What's it do? Do I like the interface? Do I like that? That's it. So it's a, it's a fun conversation I've been having with people looking to jump into the EV market, and they're not worried about the software thing. They're just asking me opinions about things, and this came up. And so I thought I'd share it today. The last thing I want to talk about today is a word that I kind of hate in business because it's so misused, and I've said it on this podcast before, the word leadership. There's nothing that pressurizes leadership like making bad financial decisions. When you actually have to cut the check and your name is on the front of the check and it's your money, leadership becomes a whole different animal. And when you make bad financial decisions or you're not in a good financial place in your business, it's very hard to be a good leader because most people can't take the stress. And so I'm going to share a story of me going from one truck to two trucks the mistake that I made, the pressure it put inside my business, which affected my people, and the lesson that I learned out of that. And hopefully you can take it to your business and it'll help you a little bit. So when I went from one truck to two, 
I had already had the two guys hired. We'd been training. So we had four guys, me and three team members in one truck. So we were training these two people. I'd already made the decision to, to bring on a second truck. I didn't have the second truck. I didn't need it. I needed to train them first. At the same time, I had bought some rental property and I'd bought a personal home. So cash had been flowing out quite a bit. To get a second truck on the road, we were going to buy a used truck and we were going to refurbish it and then we were going to outfit it. And all in all, it was about $10,000 to do that. It wasn't the nicest truck in the world, but we made it nice. We bought all the best equipment because I believe in that. So we had about 10000 into this truck. Well, unbeknownst to my team members, and I'll tell you all here, that was the last ten grand I had. I, I had bought a house. I had bought some rental property. I, I'd made all these great decisions, quote unquote. But I had a lot of money going out the door, a lot of money. And at a time, I didn't have a lot of money, right? Like a lot of money is not the number everybody has in their head, and it's different for everybody. But I was buying rental property. The market was down. I bought a personal home. It was a great deal. And all these things are long-term asset investments. But guess what? That means the money's still out of your account in the moment. So I barely had enough to get this second truck on the road. What happened next was probably the biggest thing that I learned about quote-unquote leadership in business, which is I made the wrong financial decision and it put me in a place to be very, very, very touchy, angry. When anything didn't go perfectly inside my company, I'd lose my temper. And it wasn't because I had a temper and it wasn't because I was a bad leader. It was because I pressurized the system and didn't have any way to handle it. When you're looking at, I got payroll coming up for three people and I don't have hardly any money. It's hard to be a great leader. And this is the thing, you can read all these leadership books from Bob Iger and all these people, and there's some value in there, no doubt about it. But guess what? They never cut a check that they had to cut the check of their own money. So if they wanted to build a, build a theme park and it was a bad decision, Disney was still going to give them the $2.5 billion to do it. What, what really pressure were they under? Yeah, they're under some type of pressure, but try having $0 in your account because you're trying to grow your business. That's different type of pressure. And nobody ever talks about this in leadership, in my opinion, which is a lot of times the symptoms you're showing in the leadership of your company are coming from a different storm than that moment. Let me give you an example. So I barely have any money in my account. And every time over the next month, two months, things wouldn't go perfectly. I would lose my temper with a team member. I would be a poor leader. I wouldn't do things the right way. I wouldn't react the right way. And I learned a lesson. And I'll share that lesson now. The number one job you have as a leader, in my opinion today, learning from all of my mistakes, is to take the pressure out of your business and onto yourself and never let anybody know that there's any pressure. And that is a really hard thing to do. So here I am in this bad financial position. Again, I'd done all the right things, right? I'd bought assets. I did what everybody says you should do, but the money's still gone. It's out of the account. And so what happened is I pushed my team members. I treated them poorly because I was under a ton of stress financially. I wanted them to understand, you guys need to get it. You need to get it. But they, they, they're never going to get it because they didn't know the financial position I'd put everybody in. 
Now I never missed payroll. They never waited on a check, but it pressurized my home life. You know, we had times where it was really tight to make mortgages on rental property, as well as my personal home. I put a lot of things in danger because I just didn't understand the importance of finances. So if I would have bought that $10,000 truck when I had $15,000 in the bank, I would have avoided all of this. Two of those three people would probably still be working for me today because they were good people. But I pushed them to the brink and they left. It wasn't on them. It was on me. And that's the important thing here. Don't think everybody quits because they don't want to work. A lot of people quit because you're not doing well as a leader. And that's okay. You have to learn from that. And I certainly did. So let's use an everyday, you have some team members that make a mistake and you don't handle it well. Okay. So I had an employee recently back a car out, dent a bumper. We had to pay to get it fixed. 2010, 11, 12 me, who was under great financial stress, would have acted completely different than I act today because I just didn't know any better. And here's what you have to do. When that guy called me, I said, hey, man, keep doing your thing. You got more jobs today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. I'll handle the client. Don't sweat it. Why am I able to react that way now? Well, first and foremost, our company's in a better financial position. I know for the most part, I can handle that problem. Doesn't mean I'm not mad about it, but I can't let him know I'm mad about it. And I can't make him feel bad about a true accident. It wasn't carelessness. He had an accident. He's human. When I detailed cars and I was employed by somebody, I made mistakes. You did as well. So did you want to get yelled at or did you want to have somebody say, hey, I'm going to have you pay for this mistake? How dare you? You didn't want employers to do that to you, so you can't do that to your team members. Your job as an owner of a business is to take the pressure out of your business so your employees never feel like there's a bunch of pressure in the business. It's a hard thing to do if you make bad financial decisions over and over and over again. You're going to make some bad decisions. I shared one of my worst ones. I just need another five grand. Why was I in such a rush? It was a really poor decision. If I had waited 60 days, we'd have had the extra five grand and I would have never had that pressure in my business. Therefore, I would have been able to handle building my team a lot better. I'd have been able to say, hey, man, no big deal about that mistake. We'll get them next time. The hardest thing to realize is when somebody calls you because they made a mistake, you need to say, hey, man, relax. I got this. Keep doing your thing. We'll talk about this another time. And you will talk about it another time. It doesn't mean that day. A week later, we addressed it. Hey, man, here's what you did. I don't like guys moving cars around with, with their earphones on. He had his earphones on. He looked me in the eye and said, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I know that it makes you less aware of what's going on. That's my bad. It's all good. The mistake has already happened. The reason that guy has been with me close to 10 years at this point is because I've learned to take the pressure off of him and put it on myself. Don't worry, man. I'll handle the client. Don't worry about this. I'll get the car fixed. And every day he does a great job for VR, 
for his family, for, for all of us. And he's been a part of this thing because I largely learned a really hard lesson early on that I needed to take the pressure off my team and take the pressure on myself when things happen. If a mistake happens in your business and you're losing your cool or you're pressurizing the business or you're tough to be around, it's going to be hard to keep people around, harder today than ever. So how do you react when there's a mistake? Are you the person that takes the pressure off your business? Are you the person that adds pressure into the system of your business? And that'll largely be the biggest culprit of keeping people or not keeping people that nobody ever talks about. Today, I can stomach a lot of, of, of stress, financial mistakes, all those types of things, because I learned the lesson of the financial stability of my business is the most important thing that allows me to handle stress on a high level. We can absorb a lot of different things in this business today that I couldn't absorb when I didn't have the money in my business. So for those of you that are five years into your business and you're in no better financial position today than five years ago, you don't have 20, 30, 40, 50, $60,000 saved up. It's going to be hard to grow. And then when you grow, you're going to be trying to do it on a shoestring budget. You're going to pressurize everybody involved in your company, and they're not going to stick around. Remember, we're detailing cars. Guys don't accept a job detailing cars because they want to be under tremendous amount of pressure. They're not trying to win the Super Bowl, right? They're not trying to run a, a Fortune 500 company. They're trying to detail some cars for some money. So if they're under a tremendous amount of pressure because you don't know how to take pressure out of your business and take it on yourself and never allow it to touch your business and just internalize it all and handle it and eat it, then you're not going to have success hiring people. The biggest lesson I learned, mistakes that I made financially pressurized my business and I didn't handle it well. And today... When I pick up the phone for a mistake, it's always the same answer. I got this, man. You do your thing. Keep doing what you're doing. I'll address them. When we have time, I'll pull them aside and say, hey, man, let me know what happened. How, do we, how did we have this happen? But even that's not pressurized. I'm not going to go and be pissed off. I largely forget about it. We try to put policies and procedures in place to avoid that mistake in the future. But I got news for you. Mistakes are going to happen all the time. As your team grows... You're going to have so many mistakes on your plate. If you can't handle them, if you can't take the pressure off your team members and put it on you, they're not going to stick around. I hope this helps some of you today through my uh, idiotic mistake early in my business because we're going to make them, and I made them, and it taught me the greatest lesson probably in my business. Everybody have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.